What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the 5050 Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Michael. And boys, today we are going through rounds two through three of the NFL draft. Uh, last episode, go watch if you haven't. We covered all fantasy uh, implicated players uh, during round one of the NFL. And round two had some interesting picks too, uh, as well. Uh, but obviously, you know, round one had all the, the main guys that we expected to go. Uh, but this is where you'll win your dynasty rookie drafts. Uh, days two and three. These are the players that you'll get in rounds three and four of your rookie drafts. Uh, guys like Pacheco uh, that we had last year uh, that you got in that late round pick. We want to find that guy in these rounds too. Uh, today, it's just me again, hoping Mason can on the next few episodes. But uh, yeah, I think we just get started right away into it. And the first player that went in round two uh, was everyone's you know, question mark player of the draft, and that's Will Levis, uh, who went pick 33 to the Tennessee Titans. And with Will Levis, there's a lot of uncertainty regarding, you know, multiple reasons, mainly to do with decision-making, uh, pocket awareness, uh, seeing where his decisions go from uh, time to time, and overall kind of just being turnover machine on uh, his last year at Kentucky. Everyone knows about the injury history and that he wasn't 100% healthy this last year and the O-line sucked and he didn't really have any weapons. And he's one of those guys like Zach Wilson who wasn't in the great greatest college situation but looks like he has all the measurables and all the talent in the world. That being said though, he has over glaring issues that a lot of people can see on film bad throws in general but just some ugly ugly plays that did not need to be made so his decision making will really come with overtime and it'll be interesting to see what the titans do as we know they spent a pretty early pick on malik willis last year i guess not early depending on where people really thought he was going to go in the draft that year but they have already said that he might be a cut candidate. They never really take three quarterbacks. So uh, it looks like it'll be Levis and uh, Malik Willis fighting for that QB2 job while Ryan Tannehill safely has that QB1 job. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with the training camp. We've already seen a few videos of him uh, in the rookie mini camp, you know, making some good throws on the move. But again, you know, that's just rookie mini camp. So there's really nothing to really take that off of and judge off. Uh, we know he has, you know, second to none arm talent in the draft class, but it's if he can step on the NFL field, uh, take checkdowns, not overlook the play, go through his decision-making, and not turn the ball over. I think that will be the biggest thing with him. So Will Levis goes pick 33. On to the next guy who goes right the pick after. Who's a guy I mentioned on our Twitter last night, and that's Sam Laporta, who goes pick 34 to the Detroit Lions tight end from Iowa. He started the little tight end run we saw in round two here. Uh, Sam Laporta is a guy that he looks to be like 
probably the second best yards after catch tight end. Uh, Kincaid, we know who went in the first round we already talked about, went to the Buffalo Bills. But Laporte is a guy that will easily step right into the TJ Hawkinson role from last year. We have already seen, you know, sleeper hype, Twitter hype coming out about him, saying that he is the best rookie in minicamp by far. So we're already facing uh, some Twitter bogus, but from what I have seen of videos of him, he does look great, but we knew this coming into the draft. We knew Laporta was going to go way, way higher than what people thought. Uh, a few weeks before the draft, he was mocked to be in the third or the fourth or the fifth round. And we knew that wasn't going to happen just based off talent. Uh, he's one of the rare tight ends that can catch the ball, but then also take it for 50 or take it for 40 yards. He is not just the Michael Mayer kind of 5, 10-yard safe receiving option. Uh, Laporte and Kincaid are two of the guys that you know remind us of Kittle in a way that they can catch the ball, stiff arm a guy, and then run 30 yards down the field and score a touchdown. And for landing spot, Laporta gets, you know, a, a great spot. And rookie dynasty drafts, you're looking at him going mid-second, mid to late second, really depending on what format you play. Uh, if you're playing non-tight end premium or tight end premium, that really depends on where people like him. In startups, I've seen this guy go crazily high, you know, seventh, eighth round in the tight end premium league, which does make sense if, you know, you get a rookie tight end that has that kind of talent going to a great landing spot. Laporta does make sense to take there. Uh, but, you know, reaching over some already solidified guys, we need to remember that at the end of the day, he is a rookie tight end. We've never seen him play before in the NFL. So, you know, we can't base a, a seventh round startup draft pick on a guy we've never seen before at a position that takes years to develop. Uh, even with Travis Kelsey, we can look at his game log and his game history. He didn't break out for a few years. Obviously, he wasn't an early pick, but rookie tight ends take time to develop. Uh, the only guy that I can see really stepping into a day one impact is Kincaid. We talked about him being a more of a slot receiver. So he will be a guy that we can look at and say he will from a day one spot. He can come out and make us fantasy points right into our starting lineup. He can sit in the tight end spot, but be more of a receiver in that kind of way. So he will be a really good pick for uh, redraft. But for Laporta, again, you know, I love him personally. Uh, I've liked him pre-draft. I like him after the draft. And I've taken him in two of my league's rookie drafts. Uh, I didn't get him in my main one, unfortunately. But I wasn't really in a position there to take a guy in the mid to late second uh, with trade-ups and whatnot. So, unfortunately, I couldn't get him in my main league. But uh, I'm happy to see him progress and become a great player for Detroit. Uh, so that we know we he will be. And pick uh, 35. Right after that, another tight end off the board, and that is Michael Mayer from Notre Dame. The you know pre-draft consensus tight end one slides down to pick 35 to the Raiders. And to me, I don't know why he dropped so far. Uh, there wasn't anything pre-draft that really changed his grading. Uh, I think people really got sold on Laporta and Kincaid's athleticism, that they forgot that Mayer can provide more than just receiving. Uh, he is a two-in-one tight end. He is a traditional tight end. He can block his ass off, and he is a fantastic blocker as well as a receiver. And I think teams really overlooked this 
I still think he's my tight end two over Laporta, but it's very, very close. Just because I think Mayer can long-term be an asset to a team, not only in the receiving game, but also in his prestige blocking career uh, at Notre Dame. Uh, they make great tight ends as well as Iowa. So uh, those two schools are, you know, the tight end university uh, at the moment. But with Mayer, I think he gets a pretty good landing spot. But again, he is a guy that I see won't be a fantasy impact from day one. I think by year two, uh, he'll start getting more looks. And by year three, he'll really break out as a fantasy option. That being said, though, he is landing a spot with Jimmy G. Uh, Jimmy G did make Kittle the guy who he was today. Uh, Kittle obviously had all the talent in the world. But Jimmy G is not a downfield stretcher. We know that. So he's going to want to work the shorter intermediary uh, of the field. And what player in an offense can do that better? Uh, you know, they got Devontae there, Jacoby Myers there, and Michael Mayer there now. So it gives him that big option that will be open on those five to 10 yard routes. So Mayer might do good rookie season. Who knows? But I think you'll really see his fantasy uh, success coming years two and three. So as far as Mayer goes, that's all I have to say. The next pick in round two, down to pick 39 to the Carolina Panthers. And they took the first receiver from day two. And that was Jonathan Mingo from Ole Miss. And with Jonathan Mingo, you know, he's a prototypical Ole Miss receiver. Big, fast, and strong. Goes to a great landing spot for a receiver as Carolina doesn't really have any long-term options at the receiver. Uh, they have Adam Thielen. They have LaVisca Chanel. They, you know, DJ Chark. But these guys aren't going to be there a few years down the road. And Jonathan Mingo, to them, was the second pick. Uh, was their second pick, sorry, in the second round. And that really gives them uh, an opportunity at surrounding Bryce Young with another uh, weapon. But with Mingo, there are a few concerns that I have seen. Uh, I'm going to share uh, two Twitter threads that I found on Twitter the other day about Mingo, just in research for today. Uh, the first one comes from Jeremy at Pope's FFH on Twitter. Go check him out. He has a lot of great metrics and stats. And Jonathan Mingo is the only top 40 wide receiver drafted in the last 20 in the last four years. So there's been 26 receivers in the last four years that were drafted in the top 40 with a yards route run under 2.00. The average of the 26 receivers was at 2.68. Jonathan Mingo's yards per route run was 1.48. So that is point. 1.2 lower than the average of all the other top 40 receivers drafts in the last four years. So that is something to be wary. <laughs> um, people can argue on scheme fit and where he was in college and how that can implicate the yards per one metric. But then the other one I found comes from force underscore fantasy on Twitter, uh, Chris M uh, where he says of the top 12 drafted wide receivers, Jonathan Mingo ranks last in multiple key metrics that are predictive of future fantasy success, including college career fantasy points per game, receiving yards per pass attempt, and weighted dominator breakout year. So those are four metrics right away that have immediate impact on Mingo as a player. 
I think if you're looking at those four metrics and you're in rookie drafts, you kind of want to reconsider Mingo. I still think he'll be solid in Carolina. And truthfully, I think I would still take him, not at his ADP though, if he drops. Solely based off Bryce Young's going to need a long-term weapon. And Ole Miss receivers in the past have proved wrong. Uh, A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, Elijah Moore. These guys have, you know, come from Ole Miss and succeeded in the NFL. Obviously, Elijah Moore has had a few down years, but we saw him in his rookie season. He shot flashes and really excited for him in Cleveland. But we've seen those two, D.K. and A.J. Brown, who are now top players at their position, come from Ole Miss, similar body builds, and have dominated NFL football. So with Mingo, I think you take a shot on him if he slides. But at his ADP at, you know, standard format, early second, I wouldn't take him. If he's there at the 205, 206, 207, after all those running backs go, I, I think it's a good spot to take my value. So Jonathan Mingo, uh, beware a little bit, I guess. Uh, those metrics aren't really <laughs> uh, great to look at, but I, I still think he's a good player. And just where he landed and, you know, where his production will be with pure volume long run, I, I think he is a good player based where he goes in ADP. The next offensive player is Luke Musgrave, pick 42 to the Green Bay Packers. Uh, I love this pick for Green Bay. I think it gives Jordan Love another young weapon uh, to play with for the next four years guaranteed. Uh, Musgrave's big, fast, athletic guy and a great receiver. Not really a prototypical tight end for blocking, but Green Bay addressed that in the later rounds, who we'll talk about with their next tight end spot, where they drafted two. And the guy they drafted there is much more of a traditional tight end in a blocking form. So with Musgrave, I see him really stepping into a receiving option role right away for Jordan Love. And now you're going to have guys like Jaden Reed there, uh, Romeo Dobbs there, Christian Watson, Musgrave, Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon. Green Bay is providing Jordan Love with the weapons that he needs to succeed. Uh, and Luke Musgrave is just another guy to add on to that. And the next offensive player is actually a guy I just mentioned, uh, Jaden Reed, pick 50 to the Green Bay Packers as well. Uh, and Jaden Reed is a guy who I personally am super, super high on. Um you know, he's a little bit older. Uh, he's not a three-year rookie like most of these guys are. Uh, he's 23 years old. But that being said, I really like Jaden Reed for a multitude of reasons. Um, landing spot's one of them. I like Romeo Dubs. I think for where they got him, he's a great value. Is he a one or two receiver? No, he's not. Um, and with Jaden Reed... It gives them a great, you know, X-looking receiver. He's not the biggest guy, but I think he'll combat uh, Christian Watson very well. You know, he ran a 4-4-5. He had a good 10-yard split. Athletic guy. And I really think that he's going to complement Watson very well in the sense that they will fit their play style together in a very good way. You know, you're going to have those two guys stretching the field, dubs across the middle with Musgrave, you're going to be attacking the field with also your run game. You have a great one-two punch still, even with Aaron Jones aging. So with Jaden Reed, uh, I think he sort of fell in the draft just due to age and previous injury history. Uh, but like I said, I'm really high on him. Uh, he's a guy that I really think 
is too low in rookie draft ADP. I've seen a few YouTube drafts where he goes a little bit higher, what makes you happier. Uh, but yeah, again, like with Jaden Reed, they're just surrounding Jordan Love more and more with weapons. And I think even Jaden Reed helps Jordan Love more than anything. Uh, and when we get back into more redraft news and startups, we're going to talk about Jordan Love a lot uh, because me and Mason are both pretty high on the guy. He hasn't shown much, but in the games that he has played, he looks like he has that offense on lock. And now, you know, in two back-to-back second-round picks, they get an athletic rookie tight end and a very athletic rookie receiver uh, that, to me, should have went a little bit higher over Mingo. Uh, but, yeah, Jaden Reed was a great pick for them. And now we can move on to pick 52. Uh, I believe is the second last – or the, sorry, third last offensive player of the second round. Uh, and this was uh, the one that really confused people. Uh, I mentioned it a few times already. Zach Charbonnet goes to the CLC Hawks at pick 32 – or 52, sorry. And Zach Charbonnet is a great player, and we've known this. Uh, he really stood out at UCLA these last two years. Um, but where he goes, and it's really interesting to see why the Seahawks would do this. But like I mentioned with JSN and the depth issue, they didn't really have an RB2. And the Seahawks have now seen themselves as a team that, you know, we need to get better depth-wise. And they know that Kenneth Walker is their main guy. But that being said, now you're going to have the option of running them together. And what that now does is Charbonnet is not as fast as Kenneth Walker. He's not that guy that's going to break between the tackles like JT and run for 50 yards. He's more of a bruising down-to-down back with some speed still. But overall, he's not the same player Kenneth Walker is. But by bringing him in, what do you do? You can now run Kenneth Walker the first two downs. Instead of then running out Travis Homer on a third down play, defenses will now have to deal with Zach Charbonnet. And as well as he's a big running back, he's also a great receiving back. So they're not only going to have to worry about uh, the receiving aspect of him, but also the bruiser aspect of him. And to me, this gives them probably one of the best one-two punches in the league. Um, and like I said, the third down value is what really, I think, made them do this pick. Because with Kenneth Walker, you know he's going to get at least 70% of snaps. He's going to be out there for all the first down, second down plays. But now with Zach Charbonnet, it gives you the uh, just the benefit of having two great young running backs. And we know Pete Carroll loves to run the ball. So... This is not going to really impact Kenneth Walker as much as people think so. I think he's still the main guy. I, I still think that, you know, he's going to go down a little bit in value and uh, usage because of this. But where I've seen him going, Kenneth Walker, in some startups is crazy to me. And I think that he's really not going to have that much impact on his own game. But I think this pick will just help out Seattle more than anybody thinks so. Because this finally gives them a great running back to throw in the field in a time where they don't have that main guy. And they, they can't just throw out these, you know, no-name practice squad guys. They need to be able to have a solidified player that comes out on a third clutch down uh, play and gets them those scrappy yards. So for Zach Charbonnet, 
I know people didn't like the pick for fantasy. Uh, it ruins a great rookie coming out for a, you know, a workhorse kind of role. But for NFL purposes, I think Seattle really nailed it. It was a luxury pick for them. They already had that second round pick earlier uh, where they took um, the edge from, uh, I forget his name now. It's kind of blanking me, but they had a luxury pick where they had two seconds and they knew that they could, you know, address a need that they needed, which was depth. And with Charbonnet, you know, they probably have the best one, two in the league now. Uh, and I really think this will come to show in September when we see them play uh, that Kenneth Walker will still get all those first and second downs, but then come third down, Charbonnet's out there uh, and defense is going to be scrambling on, you know, if they're getting those two yards to the ground or two yards to the air. So again, like the JSM pick, it opens up this offense completely. It gives Geno Smith the literal best chance of succeeding. And I'm really excited to watch this team. Uh, I think they're going to have a top six offense this year uh, by any means. And I know people might think that's crazy, but the players they have in that offense, I don't see how you can't rank them there. So Charbonnet goes pick 21 on to pick 55, where my Kansas City Chiefs, unfortunately, uh, took a player I'm, you know, pretty low on. Uh, and that's Rasheed Rice. And with Rasheed Rice, there's a lot of things not to like. The biggest thing for me in the pre-draft process was I watched the Senior Bowl. And there's a good video I'll, uh, on the Twitter today after this episode goes up. I'll link it on the Twitter. And it's every single route ran by Rasheed Rice at the Senior Bowl. And he got no separation. He gets absolutely zero separation on the line of scrimmage. And this is against guys that are at the senior bowl who are fourth round, fifth round picks uh, from lower schools as well. And it really makes you think that his success at SMU came just from weaker competition. He's also a 23 year old wide receiver uh, who's big and strong and could probably push around and dominate guys in his conference where now he's going to the Kansas City where he's going to have to go up against guys like Patrick Tan two times a week, J.C. Jackson two times a year, sorry, not two times a week. Um, and, you know, it's going to be ugly. And the biggest thing for me about him was not only the senior bowl, was Matt Harmon's uh, reception perception grade on him. Uh, his upper tier of routes besides the screens and the flats, every single section was red. Uh, come back at 50%, curl at 53%, slant 70%, dig 50%, post 62%, 9%, and a corner at 20%. So when you hear these numbers, yeah, it's not good. And I didn't like him to start, and then I was really hoping the Chiefs would get one of the top guys in the first round, trade up. But then they trade up for Rasheed Rice in the second round. And I just don't get this pick at all. Uh, I don't think I ever will. And people keep saying, oh, well, Mahomes recommended him. He worked out with Mahomes, and Mahomes loved him. Uh, they worked out together with no DB coverage and no press off the line of scrimmage, just in an open field running routes. And any receiver will ever look good doing that. So with Rasheed Rice, it seems like I hate the guy. I don't hate the guy, but I, I think where he got picked was an absolute reach on the Chiefs' part. And the fact that they traded up for him, but not traded up for 
you know, a better prospect in the first round will probably always boggle my brain. Uh, maybe Veach knows something that we don't about those first round receivers, but I was jumping on my chair, hoping that the Chiefs would trade to pick 19 with the Bucks to then get maybe JSN or someone along those lines. But we're going to have to wait and find out with Rasheed Rice. I, I personally don't like the pick. I probably never will. Uh, but that's enough for she Rice hate. Let's just move on to the next guy. Who is Luke Shoemaker to pick 27 uh, to the Dallas Cowboys? And with Shoemaker, he's a guy who's my tight end four. Loved him as a prospect coming out of Michigan. Um, really, really just all-around good tight end. He's not really great at anything in particular, but he is just one of those guys like Mayer that he's a tight end, and that's what he is. He's an NFL tight end. He can block, he can catch, he can run. He is good all across the board. With Shoemaker, though, the only concern for me is is that he is 24 years old. Uh, he is not, you know, a 21-year-old, 22-year-old tight end prospect like Mayer is. And he's not going to a team with a lot of uncertainty. You know, I'm not sure why they took him here as, to me, I'm a pretty big believer on Ferguson and Hendershot as a duo. And I think that Shoemaker really isn't a guy that is different from those two, if that makes sense. I think Ferguson and Hendershot are kind of the same-ish player as Shoemaker. Uh, Shoemaker, to me, is a little bit better. But we saw flashes from Ferguson last year, even with Dalton Schultz there. And to me, it's a little bit of an unwarranted pick for the Cowboys. But I think they were just a little bit mad if they didn't get Kincaid, uh, which makes sense. I, I think Kincaid would have been a great fit with the Cowboys where he would fit right into that Dalton Schultz role, and then Ferguson would handle more of the blocking duties, and the short route duties. Uh, but yeah, Shoemaker goes pick 27. Uh, love him as a prospect, but he is a little bit older. And my only concern is depth chart role. Uh, already had good options in-house, but two-way option, like I said, shot blocker and a short receiver. Uh, and he's a late bloomer, right? He's 24. So he had a breakout season last year. Uh, but he did rise to the draft process due to his tangibles. So we'll come to see. But I, I still think Ferguson uh, is a guy that should have been there. But again, it's the NFL. I'm saying is, you know, <laughs> it could be completely wrong. So the next player off the board on the offense position is Brenton Strange to the Jacksonville Jaguars out of Penn State. And with Strange, he's going to a place where he's going to be tight end two right away. Uh, Evan Engram did re-sign in Jags. Uh, and it was a bit higher than we thought. Like, Strange, to me, was, you know, I thought mid to late third round. Uh, but, you know, Jags also kind of reached on Anton Harrison as well. Uh, but with him in the scouting community this offseason, he's a move tight end. And he's a guy like Evan Engram where athletic, get open, and he can create space for the offense. And I think with that pick there really banking on giving Trevor Lawrence a guy for the future where Engram had a great year last year, but will he keep that going this year with strange? If Evan gets hurt or doesn't do as good, he fits right into that offense and he will slot right into that position where Evan Engram was. All right. And the last pick of the second round was Marvin Mims Jr. from Oklahoma. And he got drafted by the Denver Broncos. And this was their first pick of the draft with Sean Payton. So obviously they didn't have the first round pick uh, due to the Russell Wilson trade. 
And it's interesting considering uh, the draft capital they've used the spot the last few years. But Mims, I think the biggest sell for him was his returning ability and the big play factor. I think it gives, you know, Russ another Tyler Lockett-esque like player where he's a slot player, but speed like crazy and is going to stretch the field out. And to me, it just gives him an elite downfield option uh, that will help him for the next few years going forward with Russ and hoping to see if Russ can have a bounce back year. So that's it for round two. Uh, let's go to round three. And the first offensive player for round three was actually a quarterback, and that's Hennon Hooker. And Hennon Hooker, to me, is an interesting prospect. I, I didn't believe the hype of the first round status. How people thought he's never going to leave the first round. Bucks are going to take him at 19. I didn't see it coming. He is 25 years old. He came off an ACL injury this year. If he didn't have that ACL, though, I, I do think he's a second-round pick or a late first. And it's good to, lo- it's good to like for the Lions because they do have – uh, Goff at the moment, but is Goff really the long-term option? I don't think he is. And it's it's an interesting pick with him because we know the offensive experience that he has from uh, the Tennessee's offense. It's that up-tempo, you know, spread offense. And it's hard to evaluate a quarterback in that position because it's such a quarterback-friendly system. But he's athleticism, maturity, uh, arm talent, it could really make him a great kind of developmental piece for the Lions, where if Goff, you know, isn't getting it done in two years, Hendon Hooker steps in, you know, he's 27. He's not the youngest guy, but 27 quarterback years is young, considering he's going to sit for a few years. And that could give the Lions a quarterback for the next five, six years after that. So I think value-wise, the Lions got a great pick here. Um, whereas I think a lot of people passed on him due to the age and the ACL. But the Lions, they got their backup quarterback now that he can step in right away for Goff. But yeah, I think it's a great pick for them. And we can move on to the next guy. Uh, And that's Tank Dell from Houston, who gets actually taken by the Houston Texans. And with this pick, it's funny because C.J. Stroud actually vocally opted to, you know, the Texans to take this guy. And it's going to be interesting to see how they utilize uh, their... How do I say this nicely? Uh, Compensational receivers, I guess you can say. Whereas there are no guys there that are really, you know, ooze off wide receiver one. I'm a big believer in John Mechie, but he's coming off an injury. He's never really played an NFL snap. So it's going to be interesting to see how, like, Nico Collins performs. Like, I think Dalton Schultz might lead this team in targets. But with Tank Dell, he's a smaller guy. uh, Very, very short, thin, nimble. But his explosiveness off the line of scrimmage is insane. He is a freak of nature, agility-wise and burst-wise. Uh, he's, he might be a great return candidate, I believe. Um, but again, it's tough to really grade him as his size. He's just so small. But yeah, Tank Dell, it just adds to another player to that receiving core that is very uncertain. Uh, and it gives CJ Stroud the guy that he you know, vocally opted for. So... Yeah, next pick, pick 71, uh, is the New Orleans Saints where they took Henry Miller out of TCU. And this kind of makes the Saints' backfield pretty good shape. You know, you got Kamara there, but that's uncertain with suspension looming. Uh, They brought in Jamal Williams in the offseason. 
but Miller is a curious fit because he doesn't really have that third down ability um, to replace Kamara, where Kamara does have that, you know, receiving crazy fantasy upside. I don't see Kendra being that kind of player. I see him being more of a Jamal Williams kind of bruiser-esque player. Um, so then the issue then is is that we don't know if Kamara is playing, but we know that Jamal Williams is playing. So how will they now intertwine with Williams and Kendrick Miller in his rookie season? Personally, I love Kendrick Miller, and I have since the pre-draft process. And for me, I, I don't expect much out of him year one in redraft, but for Dynasty, I would snag him. And we know this because New Orleans loves their running backs, and they always have. And I, I just the talent to me comes off the, the page like crazy. When you watch this guy, he's not only a bigger-esque running back, but he has that second-level speed that really shocks people. And I think that'll surprise a lot of people this year, even too, with its big playability. But again, like I said, first year, Jamal Williams will be there. His future there, you know, after this year is a little bit uncertain, but they kind of have that same play-ish ability. So I'm unsure of where to rank him for redraft, but for Dynasty, I've seen him going very, very low. And I snagged him once in my leagues, uh, just based off value. So Kendry Miller... I uh, love the player, but very uncertain about the landing spot as of right now. The next player, uh, Jalen Hyatt, who, you know, with this guy, we don't have to spend too much time on him because, uh, like we mentioned before, comes from Tennessee and that spread vertical offense. Uh, people thought he was going to be a round one candidate, and I was just like, no, 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 no. Um, we saw him be this massive speed guy coming to the draft. And then even at the combine, he didn't really run a crazy 40. I believe it was a 445, which yes, is fast. And you could see that his burst speed did pick up at the end of the, you know, the route. That he's not like a burst guy, but he's more of a long field runner. But he's too much of that one trick pony to go in that top 40 that people thought he would. Uh, but the Giants do get a receiver. And I think it does, he's gonna be a better NFL receiver than anything, than a fantasy, uh, just based off his speed and measurables. Uh, the next player, uh, Hyatt's actual college teammate, and that's Cedric Tillman, and that's a guy who I love. He's a more complete, well-rounded receiver, um, but he has been very injury-plagued the last few years, and he only had one productive productive season in college. Still, though, you know his skill set is going to help the Browns on the outside, and he's a bigger-ish receiver, so his red zone factors will be good. And for me, I think he's got a great opportunity in Cleveland to really surprise a lot of people. You know, Amari Cooper's getting up there in age. Elijah Moore, who I see is more of a slot receiver. Um, I think Cedric Tillman has a great opportunity to have a long-run chance at being a successful wide receiver there. Uh, year one, though, you know, Donovan Peoples-Jones is there. Uh, Elijah Moore, like you said, Cooper's there. And it's a run-first offense like we know Cleveland always will be. So as of right now, he's not going to be a redraft option. But dynasty-wise, take him. I, I think long run, he's going to be a great player for them. And I really think people will be surprised in a few years looking back that uh, they'll think, crap, we should have taken Cedric Tillman on our rookie drafts. So yeah. Uh, the next player, pick number 78, 
Tucker Craft to the Green Bay Packers. And Tucker Craft is the guy that I was mentioning before who is athletic, uh, but very, very raw as a uh, receiver. Um, he is the frame and athletic skill to make it, but he's got to have to have that time to adjust to the NFL speed. Whereas Musgrave, I think, can instantly step into that position. I think Kraft is going to have to, over time, develop into that player. Uh, so for me, for now, I, I think Packers just like the value on him. And they took him there for the blocking uh, protege of his you know, profile. And you know he's a big guy, so he's going to really step in there. He's going to help that 12 personnel team. Um, and Musgrave's going to have that option just to be a more receiver. Tucker Kraft will be the main blocking tight end. Pick after that, uh, pick 16, we got Josh Downs to the Colts. To me, this is great value for Josh Downs. To me, he's like a T.Y. Hilton 2.0, which is funny how he then gets drafted by the Colts. He's not a burner, uh, but he's got that downfield contested catch ability um, out of the slot that will be pretty interesting to watch with Anthony Richardson going now. I think he's going to complement Pittman very well. Uh, but he's a guy that's a small receiver that plays like a big one. And he had one of the best contested catch, metri uh, contested catch metrics of all college wide receivers. So it'll be fun to watch him develop. Um, but, you know, I, I can't believe this guy went so low. And I've seen him slide like crazy in rookie drafts for it. Which I think personally is stupid. I, I You know, if you're at the early third and you see Josh Downs at the clock there, I think it's an instant smash home run pick there, especially considering that where he'll be, he'll kind of gonna really work into um, the safety blanket for Anthony Richardson. And I think that he can come off, you know, a great rookie season just based off pure volume. So I'm excited to see how he works out there in Indianapolis. But for now, I think he's a great value at ADP in rookie drafts. And yeah, that's uh, Josh Downs. Next player. Uh, is Ty J Spears off the board to the Tennessee Titans. And with Ty J Spears, um, he's a player that a lot of people were uncertain about where he was going to be going. Um, running back out of two lane, the biggest concern with this guy was his knee injury. Uh, I believe he's had two knee ACL operations already. Uh, people have already been making jokes that he has no ACL. But this guy's a freak. Um, his sudden burst agility... His like body bend, you know, I think about that senior ball play where it's a one-on-one -on -one with the linebacker. He fakes going to the outside and then cuts back into the inside and just drops the linebacker like nothing and speeds off to an easy um, route win. And I think this guy is going to be a great complimentary piece to the Tennessee Titans offense year one. I think he's going to really help out uh, – Derrick Henry, and another sense where depth running back wise, they didn't really have a great number two ever. And I think Tajay will slowly work his way into number one if Henry gets traded, which he might. Uh, but even if he doesn't get traded, I think his talent alone speaks for itself. And if you have the opportunity to draft him at ADP, I think you do. And I've seen a lot of, a lot of drafts him sliding. So, you know, with him, the biggest thing is where Henry goes. But even for year one, I think you'll see him carve out a pretty big role in that offense, uh, just based off his talent alone and just kind of how him and Henry uh, correlate with each other. Uh, they're kind of different players in respect to each other, and I think they'll work really well together as a one-two punch. 
Uh, next player is Devon A-Chain to the Miami Dolphins. And with A-Chain, he is a blur in the open field. You know, burner, track athlete. And for a super small frame, he's pretty tough. And the biggest game I've found on him that I really stuck out to me is the LSU tape. Um, he really, his toughness showed on that game. You know, there's a few plays where shrugged off one or two guys and extended the run. But he is still a smaller running back. And I think with him is, can he be more than just a, you know, speed weapon uh, for Mike Daniels? And can he be, you know, a three-time running back? Can he expand his receiving game? We don't know. Uh, but it's going to be an interesting fit in that backfield committee. We've already heard reports coming out of uh, Dolphin Camp that we don't know if... Uh, sorry, my uh, thing here crashed. We don't know if he will be more of a day one you know, starter running back, or will he slide into a more gadgety um, ish role? So with him, the biggest thing is where he'll be slotted from day one. And to me, if these reports are true, I think his ADP is a little bit too high um, on that uh, chart because to me, I see him as more of a project. I don't think he's going to be a year one starter. I think by year two, he might be carving himself out in a role that really stands out for fantasy. But for year one, I still think with Mostert and Jeff Wilson there, I don't see him getting that like 15 carries that people think he will. That being said, though, we know that he is a big play player. And if they give him space, he is going to run through them and run around them and run, you know, anywhere on the field. He is a burner. But does he have that vision between tackles? Is he a good enough receiver to be a three-down back? We don't think so. Uh, and we're going to have to figure it out over the time that, you know, passes us. Uh, next pick, Tank Bigsby from Auburn goes to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I love this pick for them. Uh, James Robinson left to New England. And Bigsby is a, you know, decisive, you know, two-down-ish runner. And to me, he's not a receiving option. So with that, ETN, you know, that's where he made his money at Clemson. And now he's with his college quarterback again. Uh, ETN is a great running back by himself as well. But as well as that, he's a fantastic receiver like we know. And with Tank Bigsby, this kind of gives them a guy that you can throw out there on first down, get a seven-yard run, you know, a big, stronger guy. And then you can throw ETN there for like the th second and third down uh, that can give you that receiving option. And I think people will be surprised with how much Tank Bigsby gets as far as production-wise. I, I think he's going to be slated into a pretty big role in the running back room right away. People have said, oh, we'll be like an 80-20 snap share. I think it'd be close to probably 70-30. Uh, that being said, Bigsby don't expect that as like a starter, obviously. Like we know ETN's there. But Bigsby is a great player just for handy, um, handcuff reasoning. If ETN does get hurt, like we know he's has before, uh, we know the Liz Frank was, you know, a fluke injury and not really a, a common one. Uh, it's not like a uh, Barkley or McCaffrey guy where they can't really seem to stay on the field. But with ETN, uh, you're going to get Bigsby, who could be, if ETN gets hurt, 
you're getting a running back that could be a bell cow in an offense that has Trevor Lawrence, uh, Christian Kirk, Calvin Ridley, Zay Jones, Travis, uh, not Travis, sorry, um, Evan Engram. And you have all these guys there. It's a, it's a sick offense. We can't wait to see this offense this year. Um, but with Bigsby, you're going to get a handcuff for one of the premier running back talents in the NFL in a premier offense in the NFL. So it's a no-brainer pick there. Um, people are probably going to slide him a little bit and reach on other guys because of him not being a starting running back or potential to be one. But to me, uh, Etienne, already in his third year, and you know all these years, the more they go on, the more likely running backs are to get hurt. So with Bigsby, you know, he's a fresh sophomore coming out. Uh, sorry, not fr- sophomore, sorry, uh, junior. And he doesn't have too much work on his career uh, out of Auburn. So I, I think he'll be a great complimentary piece to um, Etienne. And I'm really excited to see uh, his usage in day one on that offense. All righty. And the last offensive player in the third round. I'm sorry, there's two more. Uh, pick 30, Darnell Washington, a guy that was once considered to be a first round pick, uh, by Daniel Jeremiah and a few other guys. Um, he is just a massive freak of nature, but the biggest thing was health and maturity. But if he's healthy and he buys into Pittsburgh, I think this might be a steal of the draft. He is a fan- fascinating player to watch on tape and he looks like more of an offensive lineman. But then you see him make one hand grabs the combine. You're like, holy crap, this guy could be the best guy in the league. His blocking isn't polished, though. He's a big guy, but he's going to Pittsburgh. He's going to have to learn to block. And I think this helps out Najee Harris as it gives it gives Pittsburgh a six offensive lineman almost. And if they can really get his effort and compete level up, I think he's going to be a great player. Fantasy-wise, I don't know his receiving game in Pittsburgh just because of Fryermuth being there. And to me, I, I really think that Muth is the long-term option. He's really that kind of uh, Pittsburgh native guy that really screams out to that gritty kind of team. And I just don't see them really going away from Fryermuth in the receiving game, uh, especially since he's a homer, you know, Penn State guy. And he's just a fan. He's a, you know, he's a fan favorite. But as well as that, he's effective. And I don't see Washington competing with him receiving-wise. But Washington's a guy that, you know, is a great tight end too. But also, upside-wise, can do stuff that Muth could never do. And blocking, if given the effort and the heart, and he buys into that Pittsburgh locker room, he might be the best player, you know, picked at value next four years. And it's going to be really interesting to see how Pittsburgh uses him. And he's going to be an end zone, red zone guy. Uh, but Muth will be the, you know, uh, down to down tight end there. And now the last guy in the pick uh, of the third round of the actual third round. Uh, there's one more of all the comp picks that we'll talk about. Um, but we're going to talk about the comp guys next uh, episode as this one's getting a little bit too long. But Michael Wilson off the board at pick 94 to the Arizona Cardinals. Uh Biggest thing with Michael Wilson was health. He's missed a lot of, you know, significant chunks of his college seasons to injury. But at the end of the third round, it's worth it for him. He's just a natural type player. And he looks just 
smooth, slippery. He's not like a really stand off the charts receiver, but you watch tape on him and it's a guy that always just seems to get open. Uh, I'm not really sure how I would comp him, but to me, he's not a guy that's going to kill you through the air. He's not a guy that will um, beat you physically, but his playmaking ability was shown at the senior bowl. He was one of the best receivers there, if not the best. And a lot of teams really boosted his draft stock from then on. And to me, it's his natural playmaking ability. You know, he's not a burner. He's not a bruiser like A.J. Brown. But to me, he's a guy that always seems to get open and then extend those plays. To me, he's kind of like JSN in a way where he's not fast. He's not that strong, but he gets open and he can burn guys somehow and stiff arm them and keep getting open, extend plays downfield, and he's a yak kind of player. So with Wilson, he lands in Arizona. Opportunity-wise, the best. You know, there isn't really a lot of established receivers there. Hop, obviously, is still there. But with him being that said, we don't know where Hopkins will be. And with Marquise Brown, he can't stay healthy. So Michael Wilson slides right in there. And as of right now, to me, he's a wide receiver three behind Marquise and Hopkins. But... I think for the next, you know, few years, he's going to slowly turn into a great option for Kyler. And I'm really excited to see how he transitions into the NFL. But that being said, he needs to stay healthy. Like we said, Uh, if he was never injured, I could see this guy being a a mid-second round pick. But talent speaks for teams and you can't really judge guys based off injury. Um, especially since they were all, you know, not major ones, but minor. Uh, minor injuries that kind of took him off for a few weeks at a time. Uh, but Michael Wilson's a guy that I love and Mason does love too. And I'm sure that when he does come back on, he'll be one of the rookies that we do talk about that, you know, at ADP level, Wilson's a guy to get. But boys uh, and girls, that's it. Uh, like we said, there were two guys at the end of the third in the comp picks, but, you know, we're uh, a little bit over time here, but there's a lot of guys to get through, a lot of guys to talk about. But yeah, that's episode two of the new 50-50 Fantasy Football Podcast. Um, next episode, we'll be going over the end of comp picks for rounds three, uh, as well as rounds four and five. Again, the deeper the rounds we go, the less we're going to talk about guys, but a lot of these rounds, two or three guys, I like to talk about, as I think these are where uh, you'll make your money in rookie drafts. Uh, the round one guys are pretty obvious, you know, they're, they're taken up there for a reason. And if you like him, if you don't like them, you got to talk about them a lot. So once you get into rounds, you know, five, six, and seven, we're going to briefly highlight blank spot guys, guys that we like where they go. Uh, but again, we're not going to really talk about them a lot. So that is it. Thank you for listening. Uh, to another episode of the 50-50 Fantasy Football Podcast. Uh, We'll see you next episode, like we mentioned. uh, Rounds three, four. uh, Sorry, rounds four and five. Uh, Looking forward to talking to you guys about that. There's a few guys in there that I really, really like. Uh, But until next time, this has been Michael, uh, and I'll see you then. Peace.